This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. I, I would think that somebody who's been 35 years in law enforcement would be able to give like a, a good description of a vehicle that's at the center of a confrontation. And he just describes it as sort of homeless looking. And uh, I think twice he says homeless looking or, or some variant of that. And he says, I think he even describes it as a beat up truck, which is not, it's a sedan. So there's just a lot in, in my mind of, of questioning of what, you know, like what, what was going through his head that night. And, you know, are there any other records that could, could help us further um, suss that out? And I think that there's outside investigations that might be launched that will pick this thing apart in great detail. And I'm curious to see what those find. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast, brought to you by Moved Tacoma. My name is Nate, and I'm your host, an American teacher abroad. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Lewis Cam and Jim Bruner. They are members of the Pulitzer Prize-winning Seattle Times newsroom, and we'll be talking today about an incident that happened on January 27th in Pierce County uh, involving Sheriff Ed Troyer. If you are a listener outside of the region, I'll let them kind of tell you the story. But what I want to do is I just want to center some things that occurred to me during this conversation. One, both gentlemen have that, like, just the facts, man, very straight, uh, very flat affect when talking about things that to me are very upsetting or, 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 or triggering, honestly. And you'll, you'll hear it throughout that, like, they are reporters and they are not, uh, they don't appear to me to be exaggerating. They don't appear to me to be trying to aggrandize anything. Uh, it is very much a just the facts, man kind of situation. And so as defenders of the sheriff attack the media and attack other people, I think it's useful to kind of center yourself in the conversation thinking about who has the most to gain from the version of the story they're telling. Does Cedric, the newspaper delivery person, have anything to gain from telling a story that he had not reported? The only reason why he is in the newspaper is he was contacted by the reporters. He basically had moved on from the incident until they reached out. So what does he gain by his version of the story? Does the reporting officer who showed up have anything to gain from his version of the story? He's contradicting the sheriff and sounds pretty uncomfortable and aware that he's contradicting the sheriff or that the sheriff's version of the story does not match his version of the story. Do the reporters who work for a newspaper that has won numerous awards for its reporting and who literally have tapes of the, the dispatch call and tapes of the conversation between the officers and the dispatcher have anything to gain? Or does Ed Troyer, the sheriff, who was up at two o'clock in the morning and decided to follow a newspaper delivery driver and then called the police and said that the newspaper delivery driver threatened to kill him and then called the pol- and then also said that he had not actually like just just when you listen to it and you'll hear me being incredulous like Troyer's story does not it, it does not add up it does not add up 
Uh, I want to just go on the record for a moment about Ed Troyer. Uh, Ed Troyer is the newly elected sheriff in Pierce County. I did not support Ed Troyer. I supported a writing candidate uh, because none of the candidates who were running for office for sheriff were acceptable to me. Uh, Troyer appeared at Adult Civics Happy Hour, which is an event that I hosted back in Tacoma uh, and talked about law enforcement relations and law enforcement community relations. And I'll link to that conversation in the show notes. But something that struck out to me was the was 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 in that conversation uh, at, on multiple occasions. Troyer was critical of some of the actions of law enforcement in other places. But at the same time, he was essentially saying that the problem we have with policing in Tacoma and Pierce County is really a problem of perception that's driven by national events. And this is something that I've heard a few times from folks. And so I just want to go on record and say the fact that I end this show every week by saying arrest the police that killed Manuel Ellis is not because of national events. And the police officer that drove through a crowd basically the same week that Ed Troyer did this, by the way, uh, and, and ran over citizens is not because of national events. And the fact that a police officer in Tacoma uh, retired early because he was caught on record on, on, a, on his own body cam calling somebody an effing inward is not because of national events. And so I, I just want to just, 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 just dismiss that national events canard and say that there's a problem with law enforcement in the Tacoma Pierce County area. And I am somebody who is not a police abolitionist. I believe that law enforcement serves a necessary role in our society, but I think the work of law enforcement is too important to be done shabbily. And so that's why we're having this conversation today. All right. Uh, one last bit before I go, I'm going to say this two other times in the episode, but I'm not having this conversation without the Seattle Times. And so I'm going to ask you, if you listen to this conversation and you appreciate what Jim and Lewis are doing to subscribe and support the Seattle Times, journalism that matters is worth paying for. All right, let's get to Jim and Lewis. Hey, fellas, thanks for coming on the show. How are you both? Doing well, thank you. Thank you for having us, Nate. I'm really excited to talk to you both. Uh, for the benefit of the audience, I want to do like a voice kind of check-in. So Jim, can you introduce yourself really fast so folks can recognize your voice from Lewis's? Sure. My name's Jim Bruner. I'm a longtime reporter, mostly covering politics and government for the Seattle Times. And then Lewis, you are a second time show guest, which means in one more appearance, you are in the smoking jacket, which is not a real thing, but should be a real thing. Uh, go ahead and give folks a grounding in your voice as well. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to getting the jacket in the mail anytime. So uh, I am Lewis Cam. I'm a reporter with the Seattle Times who covers uh, mostly kind of criminal justice issues and does kind of like some accountability reporting. Uh, for longtime show listeners, Lewis joined us uh, back when we talked about the Northwest Detention Center, and I'll link to that in the show notes for sure. Uh, Jim, I, I want to turn to you. For folks who are listening to this show, who are not following what's happening in Tacoma, and for folks who are not reading what's happening in the Times, can you tell us, to the best of your understanding and knowledge right now, what happened in West Tacoma on January 27th? Sure. Well, on that, on that date and time, um, there was a newspaper delivery guy, Cedric Altheimer, driving on his regular route in the West End of Tacoma. And he says he noticed a white, large white SUV following him. Now, Cedric's driving a, a late model, I think 1995, 96 uh, Geo Prism. And this big white SUV is following him. He says it passed him, 
And, you know, there's nobody else out there at two in the morning, really quiet neighborhood. And the later he's had come back around and then it was apparent that to him that he was being followed by this vehicle. And at some point he says he got out, uh, he, he got out to deliver a newspaper to put it in one of those little plastic boxes. You know, people take the paper. Then he delivers mostly the News Tribune, but also Wall Street Journal, Seattle Times, whatever people are taken in that neighborhood. And then he sees the SUV there. He goes at that point and he's frustrated and he goes to ask the driver of the SUV what's going on. This is this is his recollection. And he says, you know, what are you doing? Are you following me? <clears throat> are you a cop? What's going on? And he said he had a back and forth with, with the driver who didn't identify himself as law enforcement or anything. And um, then Cedric said he got back in his vehicle, started to, to drive off. The SUV starts to follow him again. And th at that point, he kind of turns around and there's this face off. Now, it turns out that the SUV driver, of course, is uh, Pierce County Sheriff Ed Troyer, who'd only actually been elected a few months earlier, but, but a longtime fixture in the sheriff's office and the former public spokesman. Um, in the course of this standoff, Troyer, who, who disputes some of what Cedric Alzheimer says happened, but he, what's clear is he calls the uh, emergency dispatch. He doesn't dial 911 like you and I would. He has an inside number. He calls. He says, this guy is threatening to kill me. He repeats, repeatedly says, this guy is threatening to kill me. And he says he's calling him a racist and he's threatening to kill me. This sets off a massive police response. It's like the highest level because... You know, if it's true, if the police think that there's somebody threatening to kill a cop, they're going to, of course, respond with, you know, maximum uh, energy, right? So basically, it goes out to all South Sound, I think all Pierce County law enforcement, and, and there's over 42 vehicles or units headed that way. They get there. Cedric is sort of obviously terrified, and he keeps his hands where they're visible, but he's mad and he's yelling, why are you, why are you out here? Why, why are you coming here to, you know, arrest a newspaper carrier? Eventually they get him out of the vehicle, they frisk him. Um, and then they tell, uh, they tell uh, Troyer, hey, he's a newspaper carrier. Um, he's eventually let go. But uh, and nobody knows about this until, you know, we later got a tip about it and dug up the police report. And there's a lot of other details and things I think you'll probably want to discuss, but that's the gist of it. It's interesting to hear you say you got a tip about it because this happened back in January. And in fact, if I'm looking at my calendar right, this is like the same week that the police officer in Tacoma like drove over the person in the crowd. But then this news didn't come out until March. Like it came out Thursday as we're recording right now. You mentioned you got a tip and like obviously like reporters aren't going to divulge your sources and like I'm not going to put you in that spot. Yeah, I am. So <laughs> so <laughs> you, um, are, are you able to disclose or willing to talk about from where that tip came? Um, I don't think I can say specifically, but I will say that my, my sense is that this incident, while it didn't become public until we reported it, there was a lot of chatter about it. Because, you know, every law enforcement agency in, in Pierce County was, in a way, alerted to it, right? And so there was a lot of, a lot of chatter. And the Tacoma Police Department filed an incident report on it, which actually was a surprise to Ed Troyer when he found out about it. Because he kind of thought the whole thing was just going to, you know, not, not become public, basically. So, you know, I, I got a very 
specific tip and it led, you know, I got the incident report and immediately saw what I think a lot of people see in this incident. This is kind of the kind of thing that gets people killed unnecessarily, or it has that potential. And, you know, brought Lewis in on the reporting and we, you know, went and he can talk about uh, digging up the 911 traffic, which was key to the story too. Yeah, that's actually where I wanted to go next. Um, so, 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 Lewis, I, I as a non-journalist, just as an everyday citizen, don't really understand the process of making records requests. So, what triggered you to make a records request for the nine hundred and eleven tapes, and like, how did that process work? Sure. Um, you know, when when I talked with Jim about it, we kind of discussed what we had and kind of what direction we're going uh, with, and. One of the first things I think we both do really is look at, you know, particularly when there's like an incident of like allegations, we look at can you do- what can you document really? And, you know, we had a police report and clearly whenever there's a mention of a call, there should be a record of that call or there should be, you know, potentially um, other records related to the police report, such as a computer-aided dispatch record that shows, you know, what uh, officers or units are heading out there and that sort of thing. Um, I think part of my familiarity with Pierce County, having worked at the News Tribune previously and, you know, covered some of the officials down there, I've, I already had some accounts set up with the public agencies for public records requests. So, you know, I, I volunteered uh, to submit some requests and, and, um, you know, to their credit, South Sound 911 is one of the best, um, public agencies I worked with handling records. I mean, they're very quick and, um, you know, they're, they're open and they're willing to get your records. And I didn't, you know, when Jim and I were first talking about this, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we got the actual call? Because, (laughs) you know, we don't really know what, what the sheriff said on the call based on what's in the police report. So we really wanted to know that Uh, we were dubious that we were (laughs) going to be able to get the call that quickly. Uh, But, you know, lo and behold, the the South Sound 911 folks were very, um, you know, agreeable to get me the records fairly quickly. And so basically I got a big dump of all the dispatch records, including the sheriff's initial call and including all of the communications dispatch chatter between vehicles and the Tacoma police officers who responded and that sort of thing. And I just, you know, when I got it, I just kind of went through it and started transcribing like every call. And there was a lot of of, uh, audio files there. But of course, the key one was the initial call that prompted uh, the the big response and triggered the big response from Sheriff Troyer. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, there was some discrepancies that we noted in the in the story about just with contained within the call itself that seemed a little bit unusual and that initially said, you know, he, he had blocked in the guy, but the guy had blocked, you know, then he said the guy was blocking him in, um, just things like that, that, you know, we just kind of were very careful and reviewing the record and, and, um, you know, talking between ourselves of, of what we saw in that, in that initial call. 
Yeah. So you all are professional journalists. And so you're very attuned to that very neutral kind of form of speak that sometimes veils like the depth of kind of what we're talking about. So just, 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 just for, for my own benefit, for the audience's benefit, we're talking about the sitting sheriff of Pierce County at two o'clock in the morning, mistakenly confronting the newspaper delivery guy for his neighborhood and then calling the police, but not calling 911 like a normal citizen, but using like the special access dispatch. So like using his position as sheriff. And then when he calls 911, his story, or sorry, when he calls the dispatcher, his story does not match up with events. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I mean, I think those are, that that's a pretty accurate description and, and it's a description of like the questions surrounding it. Now, Troyer, of course, says, he saw a suspicious vehicle. He was at home. He didn't know. He said, you know, I didn't know the, the race of the driver. I just saw a suspicious vehicle. But as Lewis noted, even his description of the vehicle, it was, it was kind of, there were some discrepancies. He said at one point, you know, he's driving up my, my uh, driveway. He's trying to get in my garage. In an interview, he later said, I, I think he said, Lewis, correct me if I'm wrong, that he didn't he even said, I didn't say you got was trying to get in my garage. And we said, well, it's in the audio. So, you know, it was a couple months ago. Uh, maybe he's misremembering, but there's certainly discrepancies. I'll also add that, you know, when I talked about getting the tip and, and, and the records, um, the other key part, of course, was I immediately wanted to find this newspaper carrier who, you know, is 24 years old. It's hard to find a number for him. We have ways of getting phone numbers. They're often outdated. So I went down to Tacoma and I spent much of a day driving around to all these different addresses, most of which were bus, you know, one was like an abandoned house even. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, this is like just driving around and I'm in contact with our news researcher, Miyoko Wolf, who help, was helping me find good addresses and phone numbers. And I'm, and I'm calling relatives. And finally, I was, I was almost like on the verge of like, well, this is going to be a bust. And then finally, um, I think I found a good number for a relative and she said she hadn't talked to this Cedric in quite a while in years, but she would maybe get a message. It didn't sound too fruitful. And then I went to one other address and actually then found a, a relative of his. And then, and then very quickly, although Cedric hadn't like sought us out, you know, he was surprised to hear from us. He was, he was very willing to tell his story. So I met him that day in Tacoma, talked with him. He's adamant. That, he, that unlike what Troyer says in the in his 911 or dispatch call, he did not threaten to kill him. Said he didn't know that he was uh, that Troyer never identified himself as law enforcement, and that he was told by the Tacoma police that he was the sheriff. And then he was like, "Oh yeah," and you know his account obviously varies quite quite a bit from Ed Troyer's and he, he's he and his family are sort of weighing what actions they want to take now so interesting so I'm curious this incident happens in late January you write about it last Thursday how much time expired from you getting the tip to this being published in the, in the uh, times it Not was, very much. It was a quick, quick, fairly quick turnaround. And and when I mentioned that, I thought it would usually when you put in a records request, it takes, you know, several weeks to months sometimes to get records back. So that's why I was very dubious about getting this. Jim got this tip. When was it, Jim? Like, I mean, it was it was that same week. And same I can't week. remember the day, but I immediately when I when I saw, you know, 
what it what it was saying i i that day or the next day i i drove down to Co- tacoma with a list of addresses like because i felt you know like it was I, i'm not sure we would have been able to do the story if we hadn't, hadn't been able to talk to cedric alheimer you know because it's his it's his story in a way right so it was very quick that that um tracked him down and then called troyer uh pretty pretty quickly to get his account and he was he was very uh, surprised that again like i said that there was a tacoma incident report and then maybe there was a couple days after that getting records and things like that lewis right before and yeah, then calling think, troyer again before the story was going to publish um yeah I, th- I think jim and correct me if i'm wrong but you got the incident report on a friday went to tacoma on the monday I got the records on the Wednesday. Oh dang. And we published on Thursday. So it was a quick turnaround. I mean, that's very quick, you know. For this kind of yeah, for this kind quick. of thing. Lewis, I'm curious about the 911 tapes and the dispatch tapes. So besides the discrepancies uh in Troyer's stories, what are some things that jumped out to you or made you curious as a reporter? Yeah, well, you know that that initial dispatch call was interesting just to hear you know that kind of internal dialogue uh like jim said there's a kind of a hotline internal hotline and it's a very somewhat informal discussion between you know he says hey it's troyer and they immediately are kind of talking back and forth i the other thing that was interesting to me really was hearing the other you know how this broadcast out to everybody mm-hmm. in pierce county um and then hearing this kind of stuff happening in real time and the discussions after the fact like there was a there was a discussion among the police officers whether or not they were going to write a police report um, which I thought was interesting. And then there was a the next shift. It wasn't actually the next day. It was that evening. So this happened at 2 a.m., right? And then later that evening, probably the next graveyard shift at like 9 or 10 o'clock at night, there was kind of a debriefing phone call between one of the dispatchers and the police officer who was writing the report on the incident. And this was a long you know, 18, 19 minute discussion, which the dispatcher, you know, kind of uh, explained the gravity of that priority zero call, as they call it, for uh, officer needs help. And that, you know, she had these crazy details about the only other response that's elicited is for Lahar of that magnitude, you know, a response to that magnitude. And, uh, you know, a mudslide for a volcanic eruption for Rainier. And, then they talked about, you know, he had done this before a, di- a dispatcher had said. And, um, you know, they talked about how um, they probably wouldn't have prioritized the call in the way they did had they gotten more details about what was happening at the scene. Um, and so I, that was very interesting to me. And so we included that you know, a little bit of that in the first day story, but we also did a follow-up about kind of the reaction this has stirred up in uh, officials and community members and included some more details of that debriefing discussion a little bit more. Um, Today, you know, I have a story about that other call that they referenced that we just posted online. 
And, uh, you know, it, it evolved right after um, uh, Sheriff Troy was elected. About eight days later, he was packing up his campaign office and um, he called in a, a break into his vehicle in which he um, later told us that uh, he saw a couple of guys breaking into the vehicle and he skirmished with them to get his wallet back and called again an internal hotline and the Tacoma police sent a priority response about 10 or 11 vehicles were heading toward him. Um, the officers didn't find suspects at the scene and they cleared the call pretty quickly and there was no incident report written about that. Um, so I, I thought because we kind of had laid that out, you know, that kind of piece of information, people were wondering about it. We needed to follow up and, and um, you know, write as what we could about that incident as well. So we posted a story about that just today. Sorry, I'm, I'm making like gobsmack stupid face. I just want to just tug on a couple of things that you, you mentioned there. So when the priority zero message goes out, 42 different like units of law enforcement are notified and are racing to respond. But then they weren't planning or Troyer did not expect there to be a report taken from an incident where 42 units responded and one officer who did respond pulled their weapon on the black newspaper reporter. Like, did I, did I, am, I got, this seems wild to me. I'm just making sure I'm not crazy about this. Yeah, it raises his questions. Um, I think Troyer disputes. He says he didn't see an officer with a gun, but Cedric, who's sitting in the car and is the subject of this police presence said he said he saw one um troyer i mean how, how can i explain this um his his insistence is that basically no big deal you know to him what he has said is he saw a suspicious vehicle he followed it when when there when the confrontation sort of arose between them his his story is that he didn't want to personally get out and make it worse and confront him somehow so he calls in the police he, in the call, you can hear him say, send a unit or two quickly. But of course, he also says this guy's threatening to kill me two or three times, which I, I would think is the sheriff you would know could generate a giant response. Um, and and, and that, the incident report is key. The fact that it was taken was key to the story. I don't know that we would have been able to do a story if the Tacoma police had not taken an incident report. Um, and the key in that, and I don't know if we've hit on this point yet, is that in the incident report, despite what Troyer said on the night, the dispatch call about this guy straight in to kill me, in the incident report, the Tacoma police officer, Chad Lawless, who signed his name to it, said, I specifically asked Troyer whether Alzheimer threatened to kill him. He said he had not. So this is a, a big contradiction and is basically seems to amount to a recanting of what he said in the uh, audio. And, you know, you could imagine somebody, um, when people make false police reports, there are consequences sometimes. Now, Troyer now says, well, I, I just didn't want to get the guy in trouble. But he, he is now saying, well, yeah, he did threaten me. He did threaten me, but I just told the Tacoma police, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. That is, the, that is a huge contradiction at the heart of this story. I... The unspoken thing that I will not ask you all to comment on is the fact this is happening at two o'clock in the morning and 
my mother always told me that like nothing good happens in the streets at two o'clock in the morning. And I just wonder about the sheriff's story about I was laying in bed and then saw a car in my driveway that wasn't actually in my driveway. So then I decided to follow it and then it started harassing me and then it threatened to kill me. Oh wait, no, it didn't. Like so much of this does not add up. And I want to, I want to tug a little bit more on who you've talked to, who you haven't spoken to and a little bit more on the audio, but we'll do that after the break. So we'll be back. Hello, friends. This is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income-generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties, and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling. And you can rest easy knowing you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you want to learn more, visit MoveToTacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253. And we are back. I want to thank you for downloading the show today. This podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. The Channel 253 Network is a network of local podcasts telling stories and giving points of view. Uh, recently, we launched a new thing called Nerd Farmer Academy, where I'm interviewing academics at local universities, both here in Abu Dhabi and also back in Tacoma, about events uh, we're having this conversation today with the reporters about the incident with Ed Troyer. If you believe in the work that we're doing, I ask that you think about supporting it with membership. A membership to Channel 253 is $4 a month or $40 a year. Uh, and then also, I'm also going to just say that we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for the reporting of the Seattle Times. And local journalism is worth supporting as well. Uh, I'm a Times subscriber from over here, and you should be as well. And so if you're not going to subscribe to Channel 253, at least subscribe to the Times because that is why we know the story. All right, fellas, let's get back to this. Uh, I'm really curious about who all you've spoken to and then who you are like still interested in speaking to or, or refuse to speak to you. Sure, I'll, I'll start. I mean, obviously started with, you know, the first person I talked with for this story, apart from Lewis, is uh, I went down to Tacoma, you know, and I found Cedric. I also talked to his mother. I think she's quoted in the first story. She also is a newspaper uh, carrier, by the way. Um, you know, of course, we talked to Ed Troyer very early on in the story. So, you know, he's the subject of the story, too. Um, I think we've reached out to different police agencies that that had a, had a role in this. Of course, as Lewis mentioned, South Sound 911 to get records. Um, I believe we've reached out to the Tacoma Police Department. Haven't really heard anything apart from what's in their, their records so far. And then as part of the um, follow-up, we've, we've talked to a number of elected officials, Pierce County Council, civil rights attorneys, groups that have expressed concern about this. And we're going to continue to, to, to follow up and see 
what happens now, you know, with those as those groups react and as different governments try to figure out what what their role is in possibly looking at this uh, incident, which involves a separately elected, you know, independently elected sheriff. Yeah, I would just add today that that Tacoma Police, I did get back to me uh, for the latest story, and they. They uh, basically are standing by their incident report. And, um, you know, in the last interview we had with, with Sheriff Troyer on Friday, um, he reiterated that, yes, in fact, Cedric had threatened him, but he didn't want to take it further is the way he, he kind of described it. So he just uh, let let uh, the incident go and, and Cedric would want his way. Um, and he suggested that the police officer who took the report had gotten it wrong. But, um, you know, I went back and Tacoma Police stands by its report. And, um, you know, when I talk about the second report or this second incident that actually pre predated the incident with Cedric that the sheriff had called in for an emergency response, he um, uh, the police department is looking into that as well and trying to determine why there wasn't a report taken in that situation, but they are standing by Officer Lawless's report. It's it's happening again that you all have this very dry, neutral tone about this. Like, okay, I just gotta <laughs> just I gotta make sure I have this right. The Pierce County Sheriff who called a officer in distress call directly into dispatch at two o'clock in the morning because the newspaper man was stalking him, threatening to kill him then said that he didn't want to escalate things, which runs counter to what's on the tape and runs counter to what also is stated by the police officer who responded to the, to the incident. Like, am I, am I hearing this right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the big question. Obviously it's a, it seems like a question of judgment and response and risk to the community. Like you said, I, I will say that if I'm trying to give, you know, explain Troyer's view as best I can, he does say on the call again, you know, just send. I just need a couple units really quick, you know. But that again, as I said, the fact that he said this guy's threatening to kill me escalates it beyond that. And I would, I, I don't know how he couldn't think that. And there's parallels in the in the other call that, that Lewis wrote about, where I think he said send a unit up here, and they send like t you know ten or eleven are on the way. So so yeah, it's. Um, you know, and, and Troyer also has said um, he was surprised that, you know, how could it be a newspaper carry at two in the morning? He doesn't take the print paper um, and he's used to, in, in his mind, the paper would be delivered at like five or six in the morning. But, you know, the deadlines have moved up and that's when these guys are out on their routes now. This stresses me out. Okay. So, Lewis, I, I'm wondering, can we return back a bit to the tapes? So you talked about how you heard the 911, sorry, it's not a 911 call. You heard the call of, from Troyer to the dispatcher, right? Right. And then there's also the conversation between the dispatcher and the TPD officer. I've listened to that audio. It's about 18 minutes. Could, could you just kind of like walk us through the, the kind of short version of that conversation? Sure. And I should say that all, all of this audio is up online. We've posted it all up online so anybody can listen to it and, you know, come to their own uh, conclusions of, of what they think. Um, that, that 
uh, I, I thought that conversation was fascinating for me just because you, how often do you get to hear kind of this after action debriefing kind of a conversation on a, on a, what's clearly a major call out by dispatch. And basically it's the dispatch talking to the officer. And I, I believe probably the officer was seeking information because he had to write a report about the incident mm -hmm. and he needed to accurately describe it. Uh, some of this, some of what had happened in the report. And he could only do that by talking to, you know, a, the 911 dispatcher who actually, she wasn't the one who took the call and talked with the sheriff, but I recognize her voice as the one who basically broadcasted as an officer needs help priority zero call. And so basically what she's doing is explaining that kind of a call and the gravity of it. But she also, you know, has some um, additional information about how Sheriff Troyer had done this in the past. And it's not uncommon for him to maybe not explain things very clearly. Um, and then she went on to say, like, how maybe um, how maybe that uh, they wouldn't have put in that priority zero response had they gotten more information. And then they could have had a lower priority, still sent a bunch of vehicles, but not all countywide, and figured out this was a newspaper carrier uh, without sending, you know, an alert to countywide to all 19 law enforcement agencies. And then they talk a bit about, um, you know, the officer talks with her a little about getting an address they could use for the precinct or the, you know, kind of a generic address so they don't have to put the sheriff's home address in the report. And they talk about at one point near the end, they, you know, sh uh, the dispatcher references something to the effect of, you know, I don't know what he meant by, um, I, I can't remember exact phrasing, but that, uh, this guy knows who I am because in the call or in the police report, at least it said, um, that Troyer said that the guy recognized him as the sheriff. Cedric had recognized him as a sheriff and, um, the officer responded to the dispatcher. Well, I don't, you know, I don't even know if I want to know the answer to that. And they were like, yeah, let's just skip that. We don't have to talk about that. So, um, it's clear to me that the officer's, you know, it seems to be walking on eggshells a little bit in um, how he wants to put this report together. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's an interesting kind of in in the weeds call, but it's kind of inside baseball behind the scenes peering at, you know, how they're discussing this report. And you're learning some stuff you wouldn't have other, otherwise known that there was another call that, you know, that dispatchers don't think the sheriff clearly articulates some of this stuff that they're, you know, second guessing this massive response in light of, you know, what it turned out to be, that sort of thing. I'll go one step further that when I listened to the call, it sounded like two people talking who knew that their conversation would be on the public record and basically were like doing a wink, wink, like, oh, I don't want to say what I think I think, but I think I think something bad. Like, that's that's the way that it read to me. Uh, am, am I wrong in reading it that way? Did that did it not read that way to you? I, I yeah, you're not wrong that they're very careful. I think they always know that they're being recorded, of course. 
But, you know, I, I doubt that it's very rare that any of these recordings ever surface publicly. But I think they know in the back of the mind, their mind, sure, this, this is a public record that someone could get. And you can hear that articulated fairly early on in the conversation when the dispatcher kind of hems and haws in trying to describe the massive response as done inappropriately. Because she actually says out loud, she you can hear her gears kind of turning, saying, you know, uh, how do I put this correctly? You know, the call was done inappropriately is what she came up with. So, yeah, I think you're not wrong that they know they're, quote unquote, on the record. Jim, what do you find to be the most puzzling aspect of the story? Like what 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 questions are still unanswered for you? Well, again, the fundamental point is that I think is central is, you know, what was he, was Cedric threatening to kill the sheriff or not? And he clearly said that that was the case. But then you come back to the Tacoma incident report where, and and, and again, we, we posted the incident report online too. You can find it on our stories, seattletimes.com. And it says, the officer says, I specifically asked Troyer, you know, whether Alzheimer had threatened to kill him. And he said he had not. In fact, I think the officer said, had ever threatened to kill him. He said he had not. And and that is that to me is the a, a big point in the story. Like Lewis said, and we've discussed, there's also just a bunch of, it, it's just a strange call to listen to when you listen to the audio of Troyer calling in. He seems... He's not like panicking, like he doesn't, he isn't like, you know, yelling or screaming or anything, Mm -hmm. but he at times seems a little confused on details and he's saying, you know, guys coming up and down my driveway, all my neighbor's driveways. And then he later kind of walks that back. And then he, he also, I, I would think that somebody who's been 35 years in law enforcement would be able to give like a, a good description of a vehicle that's at the center of a confrontation. And he just describes it as sort of homeless looking. And uh, I think twice he says homeless looking or or some variant of that. And he says, I think he even describes it as a beat up truck, which is not, it's a sedan. So there's just a lot in in my mind of of questioning of what, like what, what was going through his head that night. And, you know, are there any other records that could, could help us further um, suss that out? And I think that there's outside investigations that might be launched that will pick this thing apart in great detail. And I'm curious to see what those find. Yeah. Uh, Lewis, how about you? Like what are the remaining questions for you? Um, a lot of the same ones uh, Jim had mentioned, obviously. I, I thought it was interesting while his, you know, this four minute, 50 second phone call was happening where the sheriff is describing or, you know, having his conversation with the dispatcher what he's telling the dispatcher is going to another dispatcher and being broadcast out to the responding officers, right? So they're trying to clarify the whole time. Is there any weapons? You know, hey, did the guy tell you his name? That sort of thing. Um, And, you know, it's when you listen to all the different pieces of audio, you hear the simultaneous broadcast from a different dispatcher, you know, could be a transient. Um, you know, you hear these things happening at the same time. So it kind of places you in time 
based on Troyer's call with these other snippets of audio. I think what's uh, it, what's kind of interesting to me is the same thing that interests Jim in that the while there's a repeated, <clears throat> excuse me, um, a repeat that this guy threatened to kill me, there's never any really, you know, uh, nothing articulated how he threatened to kill him. You know, is he now he says he has since said the sheriff has since said that the guy said he wanted to take him out, quote unquote, take him out. He was going to take me out. Um, You know, um, he never said that on the call. It's not in the incident report. So it's hard. You know, uh, people have some serious questions like what actually was said here. Um, The other thing that Sheriff Troyer, like almost immediately pointed out to us is like, look, I. I wasn't, I didn't even know this guy was black, you know, when I came out and, and, you know, followed him in the car. I thought it was a suspect vehicle, a suspicious vehicle. Um, And you hear on the call him saying, you know, he thinks the guy has a garage door opener, uh, which is strange. um, I think that, that stuck out to me. He says he thinks he's a guy that has a garage door opener. He's trying to open press it and open up people's garages. Um, but you also hear him say, you know, that the guy just is threatening to kill me. And then he says, I'm racist. So at the point of the car, at the point of the call, he must know, he must have seen Cedric, right? He must have known or had some sort of conversation at that point. So when he was making the call, he undoubtedly based on that phone call knew he was black at that point. Um, yeah, you know, he, so, and, and he said, you know, I'm trying to be polite with him, but he's calling me a racist and threatening to kill me. This is what Troyer said. And, and, and this is more of the muddiness, you know, um, he, when I first talked to Troyer, I think he said, I never had a conversation with him. You know, we didn't talk. And, and his story and Cedric Alzheimer's story vary in terms of, according to Troyer, there was sort of only one meeting up between these two. It was just all happened instantaneously almost in his, and that this, this carrier like gets out of his car and is like yelling, ranting. And Cedric says, no, you know, he was following me. We had this conversation. He, he even said the guy who didn't identify himself, you know, Cedric said, um, you know, why are you following me? Are you a cop? You know, are you following me? Cause I'm black. And, and the guy, and Cedric's out of his car at this point, right? And, and the, he said that the guy who was Troyer said, I'm not racist, my wife is black. You know, Troyer denies that he said that, denies that any such conversation occurred. But in the police report, he, he says, or in the call, he does say, um, this guy's accusing me of being racist. So there's just a lot of, um, and, and unfortunately, because I don't know if we've mentioned this, um, what Sheriff Troyer did was he was at home. He got in his personal vehicle, his personal SUV, his white Tahoe. So it's not, as far as I know, equipped with sirens or anything. He didn't pull Cedric over in a law enforcement capacity. He was just like a guy in a neighborhood, you know, who thought something was happening. And so that, that denies us the, the, the ability to even have the hope of like dash cam, body cam, which I don't even know would exist in this case anyway of, of this earlier interaction. Um, and then that's problematic when you have a little bit of a he said, he said situation. 
In order to believe Ed Troyer's version of the story, you have to believe that he was in his bed at two o'clock in the morning and then he was saw a disturbance. He followed a vehicle that was actively delivering newspapers and then had an exchange with the driver in which the driver threatened to kill him and called him a racist. But then Ed Troyer also has no idea whether the driver of the vehicle is black or not, even though they had a conversation. Like there's like, like even saying that out loud, I feel stupider than I was when I started saying it. I, I OK, OK. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I will I say wanted, that like I, I just yeah. want to say that, you know, tr- to give Troyer his, his fair shake here, you know, I think that he, he I mean, his story has been fuzzy and, and the details are, are messed up, I think, and in, in, in they're somewhat um, in, internally inconsistent, like on the dispatch call, like we mentioned. But but his story is that he, you know, of course, at some point he knew he was black, but it's just a question of exactly when. And, and in his mind, he was doing something that would be reasonable to, to do in checking out. Uh, you know, a suspicious vehicle in a neighborhood where there have been, you know, like mailboxes broken into. So I just want to, at least, you know, in his mind, at least as it started out, there should have been no problem. Obviously, by the end of it, I think now it's just uh, become a big public mess. But just that element that he doesn't make the phone call from his house when he sees the disturbance, the disturbance air quote, he follows the vehicle for a period of time and then makes the phone call. And but if he's followed the vehicle, the newspaper delivery person is delivering newspapers. Like it's just there's there's I cannot get my head around an answer to this. Does that does not involve what Ed Troyer was actually doing at two o'clock in the morning? And I promised Doug that we would not get sued for libel. So I'm not gonna speculate, but like I have thoughts. I have thoughts. I have thoughts. All right, uh, fellas, I want to get you out of here on this question. Where does this go for you next? Like, are there other shoes to drop? Lewis, are you holding on to even more audio that you want to uh, tell us about? Anything like that? No, I mean, we're just following what, you know, it's just pulling strings of what's already kind of been out there. Um, Of course, the story, like I referenced, that we posted online today, it was just following up on a reference in that conversation with the dispatcher and the cop about, this has happened before. Well, you know, we reported that. So we wanted to follow up and explain what exactly that incident was. Uh, of course, there's it's going to it's got different, um, you know, kind of legs now in that mm-hmm. the Pierce County Council is kind of considering what it needs to do. The Pierce County Prosecutor's Office is looking at, you know, at the seeming inconsistencies of this story and trying to determine if there's any dishonesty issues, which could be very problematic for a, for a police officer because, um, you know, credibility is really a key crucial thing in terms of police officers and being witnesses for prosecutors and that sort of thing. And of course there's the community concern as well. And we've talked to folks, you know, uh, there's groups, advocacy groups that are, are, you know, raising questions and being vocal about Ed Troyer needs to step aside. James Bible, obviously civil rights attorney who represents the Manuel Ellis family has come out and said, you know, not only should he resign and step down, but the prosecutor's office ought to look at a false reporting charge on this. And he's been very vocal about it. So, um, you know, there's, there's uh, a number of different things that could happen here 
I should say that Ed Troyer says, look, I didn't do anything wrong here. I just did what any police officer would do and checked out a suspicious situation and I'm not going to step down. So, you know, uh, we'll see where it goes from here, I guess. I, I just have that, Jim. I've asked, I just have to ask you this, Jim. Uh, you've been a reporter for a long time. If Doug, not sheriff, but Doug, producer Doug, called nine one one and made a false uh, report that a person was trying to kill him, would Doug, Joe Citizen, producer, face some sort of sanction or consequence? I think very possibly, yeah, if the police had wanted to pursue it. I mean, the details might matter. You know, maybe somebody says something in the heat of the moment that's not 100% clear or there's a misunderstanding, right? The facts of the, of the moment matter. I mean, everything about – all of the factual surroundings matter. But, you know, that's a point that Cedric Altimer made to me. You know, he said, look – and, and both he and his mother, who also deliver newspapers, she delivers newspapers too, by the way, told me that they've been followed before, you know, like by people thinking that they're somehow suspicious, but it's never got to this kind of situation. And Cedric said to me, um, you know, if I called 911 and, and, and said that there's a bunch of threats and then all this giant police response showed up and then it, you know, whatever amounted to nothing or I, or I re recanted or retracted it, you think that they would just let me drive off? That's a question that a lot of people have in this story for sure. I want to thank you both for making the time this morning for this conversation. Uh, Lewis, we'll start with you. If people want to follow you on social media, where should they look? Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at, at Lewis Kim. It's L-E-W-I-S-K-A-M-B. Okay. And Jim, same with you. If people want to follow your work online, where should they look? Sure. Well, it's all at seattletimes.com with search of my name. But, and then also my Twitter is uh, at Jim underscore Bruner. That's B-R-U-N-N-E-R. And I want to reiterate the point that this conversation does not happen without the reporting from the Seattle Times. And I believe that podcasts you enjoy are worth paying for. And I believe that journalism you enjoy is worth paying for. And so if you're listening to this, subscribe to the Times and support these gentlemen and their work. Thank you very much, Thanks, Nate. Nate. I really appreciate, appreciate you guys uh, plugging our work. That's nice. No, it's essential. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, kind of forever, y'all. Wash your damn hands, wear a mask, get vaccinated, and prosecute the police that killed Manuel Ellis. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. A membership to Channel 253 is $40 a month. That's a lie. Holy Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows. Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.